The Start On Demand. On demand. Joe Biden said it himself. This is so unpresidential. The presidential debate that aired on Tuesday night was anything but, and I think it's safe to say it marked a new low for political debates. We learned about something exciting today called the 48th Film Festival, and we spoke to a couple of people about it, including Winnipeg filmmaker extraordinaire Guy Madden. And we had a fun chat today about adventures outside in the dark. Playing outside in the dark. You got a cool story to share? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, September 30th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and crisis in McNabby Town. Oh, is there? Loren, we understand you are without a certain necessity. It's a necessity at this job, all right. And I wouldn't have said that even two years ago, but I woke up this morning, realized I had no coffee in the house. <sighs> I honestly contemplated, can I make it to a Tim's in Winnipeg and back and just <laughs> like really hammer out some intros and just talk to you guys via the phone and, you know, maybe just farm out some of the activity for 45 minutes so that I can get that coffee in. And now I'm Googling local coffee companies to see who delivers <laughs> like i'm like i'm deep in it now that i can't now that i've thought about it i can't stop thinking about how there's no coffee in my hand uh, loren remember in minidosa the the town siren went off was it at eight <laughs> noon and five do you not have access to the town yeah. siren where you live i got a giant red button behind me i'm just gonna hit it in hopes that people are just like Woo! oh no mcnab's coffee got no coffee emergency. again and here's the funny part about it i usually only drink like i like to make the cop hold it in my hand it's nice and warm as i'm working in the basement but i usually hardly ever drink more than half a cup so it's more like just the that thing that makes the morning normal Mm. isn't here it's not really the caffeine or anything i don't well it might be ask me in an hour but it's just the that the the ritual yeah so yeah because i was going to say could you instead like substitute in some like a a can of coke or something if you need a jolt well (laughs) don't be crazy what's crazy about that Enough with your talk, okay? Let's <laughs> real solutions. I'm looking for real concrete solutions here, Brett. Well, when I need a caffeine jolt, I'll go grab a Diet Pepsi or something and slurp that back. But uh, slurp, yeah, uh, slurpee is a good way to go Again, too. Brett. Not Slurpees. an option. None of these are options for me, people, right now. Unless you don't mind me doing a mobile show this morning, and I'll just drive from coffee to 7-Eleven Joint and see where that gets me. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do, and uh, <laughs> if it comes to that, McNabb, we've got your back. I'm mysteriously disappearing for the next 46 minutes. You know where I am. I think there actually was one day where I had this mad craving for a Slurpee, and it was around 5.15, and I thought, can I make it to 7-Eleven? Yes, I can. And I'm pretty sure this was back when it was just me and you, Greg, and I think I, I ran out to get a Slurpees because I just needed to have a Slurpee. Oh, well, we had that emergency 7-Eleven not too far away. Was Is it Barry and Portage? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Hampton and Portage? Yeah, there's one on Ness and there's one on Portage. I think the Portage one's probably... Actually, I, best, I think they're about the same, really, when you, when you, when you account, broke it down from Pola Park. Yeah, it's a good, from where we were in Pola Park, because yeah. we were north of Ness. So, yeah, the ferry road in Ness was probably the more expedient 
Way to go. Now I want a Slurpee. Hey, did, <laughs> Greg, did you watch anything on television last night? Ugh. Uh, do I have you to just, admit it? No. <laughs> yeah, I did. Actually, I didn't. I listened to it. Oh, really? Yeah, so I have Sirius, FM, uh, Sirius XM yeah. radio, and I have the app on my iPhone. Yep. So I listened to it, and... Um, I would like those 90 minutes of my life back, please. <laughs> what a disgraceful display, whether it was in pure audio form or on television. Uh, the reactions in social media and the media overall are circus. Well, here's here's the truly sad part. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I've turned on debates in the past and thought, oh, wow, like this is amazing. I'm really learning a lot tonight or it's showing me something. But it shows you maybe about character, who's listening, who's answering the questions, who isn't. There's all sorts of different nuances you pick up on. And I was maybe 90 seconds in when I thought, I don't I don't know if I can do this. And it wasn't just because that, uh, you know. I don't know if our base has been lowered, the bar has been lowered so much, guys, that, you know, your expectations were pretty low. So for the first bit, I was like, oh, Trump's not the worst here. What was truly disappointing was 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 how Joe Biden also performed. I just thought this is what we've come to. These two 75-year-old men, and the age has nothing to do with it, but add in the moderator, there's three 70-somethings up there just cutting each other off, not listening. Shut up was said, I think, more than three or four times, or shush up or shut it. I mean, goodness. And uh, embarrassed. Well, this uh, this was one of the things that sort of summed it up. You were a senator. And You're the, the worst way, you president vice... America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. We've done things that you never even thought of. So we'll have we put together a little bit of a montage uh, with some of the highlights or the lowlights. However you want to look at it, we'll play that at 637. And it took all of, I think, five hours for T-shirts to pop up saying, will you shut up, man? I just I Googled it a few minutes ago. There are at least a dozen results on Etsy of people with their own. But Joe Biden's campaign is actually selling their own T-shirt, will you shut up, man? Well, you know, you referenced the age of the individuals involved last night, and I understand where you're coming from, Loren. It's not about their age, no. but when the quote of the night is a 77-year-old man who wants to be president telling the 70-year-old man, who 74-year-old man who is the president, would you shut up, man? Perhaps that's all you need to know. About yeah, what happened last night. That, that's pretty much it. And it was it, it's not about the age, although it is about, you know, staring at the faces of people who look tired and the same as we've been before. You know, in so many ways, we've been down this road before. And I'm not meaning with Trump or left or right. Like we've we've seen this play out before. And you just think in 2020, can't we do better than this? Not just with the candidates, but just the words that are being used and the, and the language that's being shared. Is there not more experience, uh, more wealth of wisdom that would give me something to be inspired by? There, there was nothing there. And then on the line of, will you shut up, man? Well, one of an American author I saw tweet out last night, will, sh will you shut up, man, is the line of the night. I feel for Hillary right now because I'm positive she wanted to say that and couldn't. And Hillary actually tweeted back, you have no idea. And so four years ago, held it together and didn't say those words. And now they're the words of the, words of the debate. It's sad. Is, the new question Supreme is, Justice, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? <laughs> so we'll have more on this at 6.37 and throughout the day on 6.80 CJOB.
The presidential debate. I've asked the question on our 680 CJOB Instagram story, for example, just to get a quick snapshot. Did you watch it at all, even for just a few minutes? And uh, so far, it's pretty close. It's just a little over. I'd say it's, uh, I'm doing, I don't have the percentages. It's just going on vote count. I'd say it's about 60% yes, 40% no. So a lot of people checked it out even for just a few minutes. We would love for you to follow us on social media, by the way, uh, on Instagram. But rather than explain what happened, why don't we just tell you, show you what happened? It was chaotic to the point. The question left. Will you shut up, up man? I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking... 200 feet away from it, he shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I have a mask right here. I put a mask on, you know, when I think I need it. Tonight, as an example, everybody's had a test, and you've had social distancing and all of the things that you have to, but I Just wear like masks when needed. I paid $38 million one year. I paid $27 million Show us your tax returns. I went... Uh, you'll see it as soon as it's finished. You'll see it. What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacist and white like supremacist and white supremacist. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right his wing own, problem. This is, this is a left wing. This is a left wing. By interruptions, moderator Chris Wallace frustrated. Gentlemen. Is, <laughs> I hate to raise my voice, but I see it seems to be, why should I be different than the two of you to get the final word? Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. Excuse me. This, hey, this hey, let person. me just tell you. No, no, no. All right. Now, Greg, I know you've got lots to say, but Loren, before Greg lets her rip, uh, <laughs> I think I got home yesterday to a text message, and I can't even repeat what you shared with us, but uh, it, it, it was an expression of your dismay. Well, I think that, you know, I, you tune in for lots of reasons. I think a lot of people are already decided before they tune in. And I said, I've said that before. And so they just kind of want to see if their feelings match what they see on stage. And if you're, my bigger concern is if you were undecided and you went into that, uh, what were you left feeling, thinking and learning last night? And we've had this conversation so many times before about the debate and the format. But if, if two grown men cannot, pause and listen to one another. In, Trump interrupted. He started it. And I'm not trying to sound like a child. He started it. But the, the interruption was insane. The moderator at one point, Trump turned to debate with the moderator, Chris Wallace, and he struggled to rein in the situation. And Joe Biden can, can be a good speaker. And if you were only turning in for the first 10 minutes, you didn't get that from him. It got better a bit, a bit later for him, but it didn't off the start. And so if you were tuning in to say, okay, well, I don't know, what does this other guy have to say? Well, you didn't hear that in the beginning. And I wonder how many people after six, seven minutes just turned it off. Well, I would agree. Joe Biden missed some great opportunities, some open nets, if you like. I'll use another hockey analogy. He um, failed to capitalize on some grade A scoring chances, as a lot of people would say if they were watching this and you know, analyze this in in the same respect you might a hockey game. But why is anybody surprised by the way Donald Trump acted last night? This is like the last 10 years of him encapsulized. He talked about 47 months versus 47 years. We saw everything that we've seen from Donald Trump, the bombast, the lack of decorum, his overall approach. It's this is the way he goes about things. You know, uh, the Washington Post said that Trump's baffling strategy was to tweet out loud 
for 90 minutes. If you haven't been paying attention, he's been governing by Twitter from day one, expressing his thoughts, despicable, baffling, or otherwise, via Twitter for a decade. I got a bing on my phone at 9.51 last night, and it said this, wow, that was a disappointment. What a clown show. My response, a disgusting display by one, a weak performance by another, and then... uh, The response went like this. I favor the Trump administration, but wow, very disappointed in him. So I don't know who won this debate, but I can tell you this. If you didn't watch it, if it didn't garner any of your attention, you probably are the winner. Yeah, Yeah. I I would think so. I I saw a couple of people echoing that on social media. I tried. I got home from golf, as I mentioned, and once I got uh, settled in, I turned the TV on at 8.25 I think it was, and I watched Donald Trump proceed to talk over the moderator and talk over Joe Biden for five minutes, at least five minutes straight, and then it was, and then finally Joe Biden spoke. And about ten minutes in, I said, "That's it. I can't do this. I just can't watch this anymore. I've seen what I need to see." And uh, I just resumed watching Ratchet on Netflix. Now, near the end, Loren is the comment. I think that. <sighs> Surprise, once again, is probably not the word, but the the biggest oh my God moment was when Trump addressed or attempted to address his feeling on racist groups and white supremacy. And uh, Sandra just texted in that comment about stand by is already being shared everywhere by the Proud Boys. They are embracing his comments and it's absolutely disgusting she also says uh, chris wallace was horrible that's a thankless job i don't know who yeah. in the heck uh would volunteer to I'm do that anybody next agrees time. to do yeah, that it, anymore at all yeah exactly it's sort of like like hosting the oscars i think it's it's just a horrible position to be put in but this whole idea of telling uh these white supremacists to stand down but stand by it was Proud Boys stand back and stand by. And so it was this reference to Proud Boys that, you know, had many outrage because the connections uh, to potential violent white nationalist groups and, and the whole idea of stand down and stand or stand back and stand by. Who is he speaking to and what was the messaging there? And then uh, th- there was also a little effort to challenge Trump on that remark by the moderator. It kind of just kind of got pushed under the rug like so many things because Trump just kept on talking. I want to talk right now about playing outside in the dark because yesterday I went golfing. We teed off at 3.30 and in June or July, even August, that's not a problem. But when you get into late September and early October, you know you're chasing daylight to finish because it takes between four and five hours typically to play a round of golf. And I knew that the sun was going down at 7.08 p.m. last night, so I was concerned we wouldn't finish, but we did. And we, it, was, we, it was basically in the dark. We'd hit our ball. We kind of saw the direction it was going, but from there it was guesswork, and we were hunting for the ball. But we finished, and as we were driving out of the parking lot, it was pitch black. So that got me thinking of when I was a kid, when we would play hide-and-seek outside and, you know, other adventures outdoors. So let's go around the horn here. We got Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, Jeff Fortier. Fortier, why don't we start with you? You got a story about a fun outside in the dark adventure? I love going for walks with my friends out, out, out in the dark and especially through parks that have paths because it's just, it's creepy. 
But then again, it's kind of dangerous because like, there, <laughs> there's, there's skunks around, you know? <laughs> you got to be careful of the skunks. But uh, there's one time me and my friend were walking uh, down this one path, and we're right beside the creek, and uh, all of a sudden we hear something move. And then splash! There's this beaver. <laughs> beaver really? jumped in the water. Yeah. Scared the crap out of me. I almost threw her. <laughs> You know, towards the beaver. Like, get out of my way. <laughs> like I'm a human shield. Yeah. I'm going this way. You're going to the beaver. <laughs> I saw a raccoon in your neighborhood the other morning, uh, Forche. They are uh, pretty cute. But search the internet. I'm going to try and find the video of the beaver from yesterday sitting at a table eating lettuce. And the sound of it is so soothing. And the way he uses his hands, I don't know, could have been a. a a, a female beaver. I don't know the way the beaver used its hands to eat and gather up the lettuce this? on Twitter yesterday. Just somebody some posted <laughs> just something. You know what? For here's for something completely different to de-stress you today. I'm gonna the yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the beavers. They they do a lot of nasty stuff out in nature, but uh, <laughs> beavers are good. Okay, <laughs> uh, beavers eating lettuce. Kelly Moore, what about you? <laughs> Well, I, I can't compete with Forts on uh, on his story, but I know growing up, like when I was a kid, we lived absolutely in the middle of nowhere uh, in the BC interior between Hope and Princeton. And uh, so I, I could remember many nights playing kick the can. And, the, and you know, when it was pitch black, dark, you, you might even see the odd spark on the uh, on the concrete from kicking the can. But we uh, it, it was called an auto court, but basically there were cabins and camping uh, was what my parents owned. And so I remember there, there was this one night and myself and my three older brothers, we lived uh, or we slept rather in in one of the cabins, which as a kid, it seemed like a far uh, away distance, but it probably wasn't that. Anyway, one night we're walking down to cabin seven to hit the sack. And all of a sudden we see these two eyes looking at us in the dark. And there had been a bear roaming around on the property. So we hightail it back to the office where uh, my parents were based out of. And I was the slowest of the four. So my mom said, where's Kelly? Where's Kelly? And all of a sudden you hear this funk in the porch. There he is, mom. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was not necessarily a game, but it was certainly uh, something that's always stood out in my mind. Jeff Braun. Some friends and I uh, went out to a buddy's cabin this past weekend, and we've been doing this for 25 years. And this weekend was very, you know, tame and low-key, but we were reminiscing about, I don't know, 20 years ago we do a thing like that, and the sun would go down, and we'd get a bunch of Roman candles, go out onto the street, and have Roman candle fights with each other. Shoot them oh, at yeah. each other. Which is... <laughs> don't like try you still that do home, that? Uh, we could if we wanted to. We didn't. Oh. No, we didn't. I but. thought you meant you were still doing it, like, last Saturday. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, but, uh, yeah, try uh, to blind uh, them. Luckily, nothing like that ever happened. The worst that ever happened was... Uh, a buddy of mine got a hole in a T-shirt kind of thing. But uh, that was always a lot of fun, even though it was uh, kind of a reckless thing to do. What about you, McNabb? There's something just about being, even now, I think, when you're out in the dark and, and when you're a kid, you can remember that feeling of, like, does do mom and dad not know it's dark out and I'm still outside running around? But I can distinctly remember playing hide-and-seek with my siblings. There's four kids in my family. And we had this playhouse in the yard that had these wires that tethered it to the ground, like helped hold it in place and they had these those orange um glow-in-the-dark ribbons on them so you would know not to run into that wire but i don't know it was this weird time where it was dusk almost dark but not dark enough where those ribbons work 
and I came running around the corner, like away from my brother, and hit right into that guide wire or whatever you want to call it, and had this bruise that went from my shoulder, like crisscrossed down my body, all the way to my knee from just hammering that wire in the dark. And the key was I couldn't tell mom and dad right away because we wanted to keep playing because you, <laughs> you do not want to go inside until you absolutely have to. So it wasn't until the next day where I came out and was like, uh, mom, <sighs> good memory. A Winnipeg filmmaking legend and a pillar of the Winnipeg filmmaking community are teaming up with one of the largest film festivals on the planet to celebrate up-and-coming Canadians who live to tell their stories on film. Yeah, and it's a really init- interesting initiative. And apologies, guys, I'm just texting with Fortune now because we're having a little challenge getting a hold of our second guest. So I'm texting him the phone number at the same time. But we can't, of course, tell you what we're about to talk about right now because I know we have one person on the line. Uh, the first is Ben Williams, who's not from Winnipeg but has embraced our community and it has also embraced him back. His work with young filmmakers in our city has had a tremendous impact by giving these storytellers an opportunity to create and share their work. That's our first guest who we have on the line and we now we also have our second one, Greg. Yeah, Guy Madden has helped to make Winnipeg a filmmaking hotbed. You could also argue that his films have helped to perpetuate Winnipeg's role as a character in film and television, the saddest music in the world, and my Winnipeg are Madden's two most well-known creations. Ben Williams and Guy Madden are here to tell us about the 48. Good morning, Mr. Williams. Greetings, greetings. And good morning, Mr. Madden. How are you today? I'm great. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us on. It's a tremendous honor to have you uh, on with us. Ben, am I supposed to refer to you as Director of Curiosity and Eclecticism? Eclecticism. There we go. I knew I'd get it out. Please tell us about the 48 Film Festival, Inc., and how you're planning on going nationwide. Well, um, Guy, you could start off. That would be more fun. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know how much fun it'll be to, to listen to me, but the festival is going to be a riot. Uh, these, there are these, it's a 48-hour film festival that um, uh, Ben and I started talking about, and uh, he convinced me that it's such an amazing idea. Sometime in May or June, um, a little vague on the date, thanks to COVID, um, Ben will fire a starting pistol, metaphorically, at about 5 p.m. on a Friday, and the 36 entrants in this festival will have 48 hours to conceive of a script, um, write it, um, uh, cast it, um, shoot it, find locations, shoot it, props, costumes, um, score it with local musicians, uh, using local... um, uh, actor, uh, you know, unionized actors for free, thanks to a deal he scored with uh, the local Actra uh, representative, and then project the movie uh, at f- you know at 5 p.m. on on that Sunday. So you've got a movie that's conceived and projected all within 48 hours. The movies are short; they're in the three to four minute range, and and the um, uh, contestants or competitors or whatever they are, the artists uh, come from all. Uh, age ranges and um, demographics, and they're just given at 5 p.m. on Friday um, a few restrictions to prevent them from preparing their movie too much before. They're told the exact running time, you know, say 
three minutes and 17 seconds. Uh, they, they are given themes they have to include in their project, you know, greed, lust, sloth, coming of age, taking flight, uh, injustice, love, etc. And there's certain shots they have to include in their movie as well, an overhead, a moving camera shot, or a uh, tightly edited sequence of short shots, that sort of thing. So it's pretty wild and woolly. And yeah, Ben is the director of Curiosity and Eclecticism because there's just so much freshness in this and we needed better job descriptions and mine is director of optimism and mischief i'm starting to get delusions of grandeur and want to be a minister of optimism and mischief (laughs) it just just seems like there's just so much optimism in films um made under these conditions and so much mischief too and and anything can happen things are wild and woolly and and fun and what visionary ben has done is take this 48 film 48 hour film festival um, nationwide he's he's got it going he's got it confirmed in seven in seven provinces and two of the three territories and by the time springtime rolls around we'll have it everywhere it's it's i don't know it's just going to be so much fun and and um ben can talk about some more things well before we do, we talk to ben guy i wanted to ask you even though three minutes it's not a full feature film it's not 90 minutes it's just three minutes but yep. video putting together video is not a quick simple task i know that there are apps now where you can do quick little videos easily but yep. to actually make a full production three minutes is still a lot of work so do the people involved uh do they sleep at all during this weekend um, i don't know how much I, I think there's a lot of sleep deprivation involved yeah um and and the world is getting used to watching short films think of tiktok you can say oh and commercials are you know 15 seconds and they sometimes feel way too long you can do a lot if you're really sharp you can do a lot in three minutes and 14 seconds or three minutes and 44 seconds it's like an that'd be like an epic narrative, and um, yeah, uh, well, Ben's arranged for kind of like a speed dating thing for you to meet up with potential collaborators um, before the starting pistol is fired. So that would be musicians and actors and and technicians, you know, like cinematographers and lighting people and stuff. So yeah, it's a super collaborative effort and it does require some organization, but then I imagine it's just the shooting these things and, and editing them in such a, a short time frame just must get so chaotic. I think there's a lot of sleep deprivation and uh, thus mischief in the, um, in the final product. I don't know. It's, it's, it's just an amazing thing to behold when it's all done. So Ben, tell us yeah. a bit about that meeting point because the the actual creation of these shorts, the forty eight hour film festival, isn't until next spring, as I understand it. But there's a meet uh, this weekend. Yeah. So basically, what we've been doing uh, uh, every year, we always when we do our forty eights here in Winnipeg, um, we have a meet and greet, um, and we try to get actors and filmmakers and um, and uh, composers together. And so we have. Uh, Manitoba Music's going to be there. We have, we have Actra that's on board. And basically uh, what's going to happen is that Guy and I are going to be on a live Google, uh, Google Meet chat, and we're going to be doing an announcement with Manitoba Music. And then after, for about 20 minutes, about 30 minutes, then we'll be doing like a circle chat with um, those who want to remain on. And so basically this is like kind of like 
uh, an opportunity to network because we can't meet in person. So this is uh, we'll be the first one uh, in this province, at least, to host something like that where we're con- connecting filmmakers. And we want to do it month- monthly, uh, and we also want to work with musicians. And so um, this will be a recurring thing. The website is the48filmfest.ca. Email if you want to get involved or you know somebody that's a filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, and you want to help inspire that in them. Info at the48filmfest.ca. Connections to the Toronto International Film Fest. Lots of angles uh, to discuss. Uh, We'll have to have you gentlemen back on as we get closer to the big event in the spring. Thanks for this, gents. Oh, thank you. That would be amazing to talk more. The New question Supreme is, Justice, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, your, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, is, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, oh, no, not no, going to give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on. Wow. So, so soothing. We went from those cute animals eating corn and cabbage to animals not listening to one another and maybe that's a bit harsh i don't know that was tough greg and i think we want you know when you're when you're debating someone or having a conversation with someone i think shut up is the last thing you usually throw out at the same time there was no room for biden to respond almost ever because of all the interruptions yeah well that's trump's style he tries to beat you down he tries to be the bigger man figuratively physically literally in every single way you can even listening to the audio the the way that Donald Trump's voice dominated over top of Chris Wallace, the moderator, and Joe Biden's was very noticeable. But, Brett, I think we've all been in these situations with our partners in life where we have an argument or disagreement about something, and the very best argument you have the best arrow in your quiver, so to speak, <laughs> is completely lost when the person on the other side says, hey, we're not supposed to talk to each other like this. You're yelling. You're being too loud. I'm not going to listen to you until you speak to me in a different tone. If you spend half the argument laying out the ground rules for your argument or your disagreement, the very best point is going to get lost in translation. Well, and then what ends up happening in that moment, too, is because they're not listening to your point and they're instead uh, picking at what, the way that you're delivering it, well, then that makes your emotions take over. And then whatever logical point you may have been making, even if it's doing so passionately, suddenly becomes emotional and angry. And then you lose the plot and you end up saying things like, well, you just shut up, man. And <laughs> the instinct to. The instinct to, to want to leave in that moment, we've all been in those arguments before, and, and a debate's not supposed to be an argument. It's supposed to be a chance for two sides to give their opinions and their strategies and, and moving how they'd move forward. But I, whatever, it was an argument in the end, and the instinct to have wanted to get off that stage must have been so high. It's the same way you want to just slam the door and leave the living room or go outside for a walk or cigarette if I smoked, you know? Like, you're just done. Sometimes you just need to get in the car and go for a drive. <laughs> Cooler heads prevail. We'll talk about this later. No, I want to talk about it now. No, I think we should talk about this later. But that wasn't an option last night. The Biden camp has already said that they will go ahead with the other two debates, although lots of speculation on all the networks last night was whether or not Joe Biden would in fact agree to come back after that as uh, 
one analyst on CNN called it S show. Yeah. And she did not mince words. She said the word Dana bash. And, uh, I think that uh, encapsulates it very nicely. He has to come back. If he doesn't, then he's a coward, right? So he's got to, he's got to, he's in a no win situation. Yeah. If he declines to, to go through this again. We have spent plenty of time over the past several months highlighting businesses who have changed course and in some cases dramatically to save their operations. Retail shops and restaurants are not the only ones who had to pivot. Yeah, very early in the pandemic, Brett, the nonprofit community declared an essential state of emergency. Those operations not only count on the monetary generosity of others in the form of donations so that they can execute their vision, but they also count on special events to raise the profile of their organizations and to raise much-needed money through gala dinners, live auctions, fun runs and walkathons, and other events. To say the pandemic has been devastating to many charities, Loren, might be an understatement. Yeah, and I think many have worked to, as much as they can to protect these events and turn them into something really special. And many of them have gone virtual, while some have had to abandon their plans. And we welcome on one such organization to the start. We've got two guests this morning, but first let me introduce you to Jeff Coleman, Chair of the Grace Hospital Foundation Board of Directors. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. How are you Let's this morning? Just, we're well, thank you. And thank you for taking the time to explain how this is going to work because Greg, Brett, and I, we've <laughs> truly been honored to emcee this event in the past for Grace Hospital. And we have to tell you how disappointing it is to see any worthwhile cause miss out on one of their primary fundraising events. So I can only imagine how you're feeling, Jeff. Um, do you mind telling us how we got here in terms of the decision to change how it's going this year? Well, it was a little over a year ago that we actually sat down with our... McGonagall Award winner, Mr. Bob Cunningham, and and made a plan to have this gala dinner in May. And unfortunately, as we all know, COVID hit us in the face. We rescheduled for the end of September, being today, and and then we started thinking about how we could modify the event to satisfy proper protocols. And and we went to three uh, prominent venues in the city and said, okay, if our if our group sizes are limited to X number. Um, let's host it in three different locations and we can do a live stream between the three locations and then of course about three weeks or a month ago it became apparent that even that was going to be an insensitive um, and inappropriate type of format so we actually pulled the trigger and and uh, tonight we're going to have our live streamed event Um, it's been pre-recorded believe it or not and so everybody's going to get a chance at 7.30 this evening to log on to the gracehospitalfoundation.ca website and watch our virtual event. And one of the highlights of the, the gala that you mentioned is the Pearl McGonagall Award for a Lifetime of Achievement. And Bob Cunningham, as mentioned, is a 2020 recipient of that fine award. So we say good morning to Bob and congratulations to you, Bob. Bob, are you there? I am. Well, congratulations to you, sir. Thank you very kindly. Yes, thank you for for allowing us to be on this morning. So we would love to hear about uh, your affection for the Grace Hospital. Tell us about that. Well, I go back uh, probably to the early 90s when uh, uh, I got involved, I guess, in a financial way at that particular time and uh, received a call from the Honourable Pearl McGonagall. And, of course, when Pearl calls, you don't say no. Uh, So 
I, I, uh, I got involved financially, and then later on, as the uh, years went, uh, went by, um, uh, I got called upon to, uh, you know, to help them with uh, their fundraising. Uh, I have some experience in, in fundraising, capital campaigns, and so on. So I got involved. Uh, uh, Jeff called me, and and um, and Yoan Enerson, the executive director from the Grace Hospital, and we met, and, uh, of course, the rest is history. And I'm truly honoured to... Uh, to uh, be recognized by the hospital for for uh, receiving the Pearl McGonagall Award. I think it's very special. I'm humbled for sure. Yeah, well, uh, humility uh, goes a long way uh, in life, Bob, and I can hear it in your voice and in your tone. What What is it that makes uh, philanthropy such, a, such an important part of who you are? Well, uh, I guess uh, when... You know, when I come from the, the town of Clandeboy, uh, we were uh, financially challenged. We weren't poor, but we were financially challenged, as many many families were back then. And uh, so, when I left home, my uh, my father's advice was to to make sure that I was always kind to people and and to give back where I could. And uh, you know, I've certainly tried to honor his wishes. Um, I've had a pretty successful run in business and. Uh, um, I just find that it's uh, easy for me to to reach out and uh, and support uh, organizations, and and the Grace Hospital is certainly one that's front and center. Well, Bob, giving back is so key for so many uh, organizations and charities, especially perhaps now more than ever. And and Jeff, we say often that you know we talk about healthcare in this country and the fact that it's so largely funded by taxpayer dollars. But at the end of the day, if there weren't foundations like yours, if there weren't this fundraising, so many things that we perhaps take for granted in a hospital wouldn't happen at all. So we need to thank the Bobs of this world and so many others. Well, you know, we have a when COVID first began and we became aware of what was going on, uh, you know, the foundation was looking for ways that we could enhance patient care at the Grace because that, after all, is our raison d'etre. I mean, we exist solely for that purpose. And so we put out a call to the community. And if you can believe it, our COVID fund, just specifically our COVID fund, which doesn't have any relationship to the gala or anything else, We've raised over $220,000 since the beginning of March to satisfy needs at the hospital. We, we bought $51,000 worth of iPads and iPad protectors because people weren't allowed to have visitors, and we thought it was crucial and, and appropriate for, for patient health to be able to communicate with their families. Uh, we've, we've put on all of the TV and phones bedside. We opened them up and had free access to TVs and bedside. Uh, bedside phones for about $35,000. And of course, the people who are the most important or as important as the, as the patients are the uh, staff, the frontline workers who who uh, every day since the beginning of March have gone into that environment with PPE and, and questions at the door and lining up to get in. And, and, you know, so the foundation, believe it or not, over the course of the last six months, has put up uh, about $25,000 for a coffee break every day or ice cream sandwiches or uh, things that, you know, just to sort of try and perk up the staff a little bit and give them a, a heads up and a, and a little bit of a recognition that we know that they too are, are working through this COVID, whether they're, you know, it, depends, it doesn't even matter what ward they're on, really, they're all put under the same uh, circumstances. And, you know, the community at large, and, and you know, Bob is... Bob is certainly one tremendous example of the of the generosity and the philanthropic spirit that exists in Manitoba. But you know, we actually had to stop accepting meals 
at the front door of the hospital because the community at large, the DJ's Pizza and the, the little goat restaurant dish down the street and Munther Zed from Fem, Family Foods, or sorry, Food Fair, um, all of them, I mean, they just kept showing up with meals that, you know, for hundreds of pizzas and, and, you know, things that we just, and we had to stop saying, people, we just don't have the physical human resources to, to sanitize all of these packages that you're bringing. And, you know, and as much as we love having it, um, <laughs> the community spirit just surprised the heck out of us. And well, it didn't really surprise us. It, it continues to impress us. Bob, a lot of times Winnipeg gets categorized as a big, small town for a city of almost a million people. You know all about the rules of degrees of separation. Everybody knows somebody that knows uh, somebody else uh, out of one or, or two steps of, or degrees of separation. Uh, how how different is Winnipeg at the end of the day than Clandeboy when it comes to rallying around a cause or, or a situation like we're in the midst of with COVID-19? Well, I think that I think the people of Winnipeg, but even the people of Manitoba, have been we've been known for for years as being one of the most uh, philanthropic uh, uh, provinces in in the country, and and certainly Winnipeg uh, stands very high. And um, uh, I've found that over the years, one uh, one of the things that uh, in in raising money is that uh, you have to give everyone the opportunity to give. Uh, and and I'm I'm a firm believer that no gift is too small. So, um, you know, as, as Jeff just mentioned about the money that came in to, to help uh, uh, support the hospital uh, uh, through the, the uh, pandemic, um, the, uh, there were a lot of $20 bills and $50 bills and $100 bills come in, and, and collectively that, that adds up to a lot of money. The people in Winnipeg are, are very generous, and um, I've been involved in quite a few capital campaigns over the years, and I, I find that the generosity of the people in this city is just fantastic. One other thing that I would like to mention is uh, some of the capital campaigns that I've been on, CGOB has been front and center. And uh, I certainly would like to just take a moment to compliment uh, CGOB and, and, and yourselves for, for the work that you do to help make this city just a, a better place. You took the words right out of my mouth, Bob. Thank you for doing that. Well, that's very kind of you, Bob. We we appreciate that. Uh, when it's certainly our privilege and honor to be able to work with the Grace Hospital Foundation. So, Jeff, uh, for tonight's event, then uh, it's not obviously the, the typical gala, which involves all kinds of fundraising on the spot with prizes and whatnot. A virtual gala, I imagine, would have allowed for something similar. So, because this is a pre-taped event, for those checking out the event, will they still be able to? participate in some kind of a way to make a donation during the event? Oh, there, it is never too late to contribute to our any event. Uh, if you go to the website and down at the bottom, the gracehospitalfoundation.ca, at the bottom of the gala page, there's a link just to click on the link to make a donation to support Bob and, uh, and the Pearl McGonigal Award that he's receiving tonight. That would be a wonderful opportunity. Uh, we had a 50-50 draw that sold out in a matter of four or five days uh, earlier on in this month and, and we were so we were so taken back by the fact that it sold out that we've now been approved for a second one which will beginning I think it'll be going live in the next couple of days so there's an opportunity for a 50-50 draw with the draw to be held somewhere towards the end of October that information too can be found on the website but tonight's draw will be uh, the draw is actually going to be held live tonight at 8:55 with the winner's name posted on the website at 9 o'clock. So that's the 50-50, and of course, uh, any opportunity, any time you feel like you want to make a contribution, 
you can go to the Wake Grace Hospital Foundation website and do so. All right. Well, Jeff Coleman joining us live on 680 CJOB, chair of the Grace Hospital Foundation Board of Directors, and Bob Cunningham, the 2020 recipient of the Pearl McGonagall Award for a Lifetime of Achievement. Bob, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. And congratulations once again to you. And Jeff, thank you very much for your time as well. It's our pleasure. Thank you very much for having us. And again, the website, gracehospitalfoundation.ca. we got to give away a Santa Lucia pizza, large two-topping pizza, and we have our winning text message. We shared it a bit earlier, but in case you're just tuning in, the, the question was, what stories can you tell us about having fun adventures in the dark whether it's something from when you were a kid or maybe something you did with your kids or something you did with your sweetie um you know or with your buddies like i used to go to the corn maze with my buddies and that was a fun time especially at night especially at this time of year head out to a maze in corn even though they would say every year People always wait till fall when it's like the corn's dead or the corn's been harvested. (laughs) Come in the summer when it's all nice and clean, but I like it in the fall because it's spooky. But Barb sent us a great text message. Loren, can you see it there? I absolutely can. I was just derailed by your use of the word sweetie. We're going to have to get back into that at some other time. Um, (laughs) Is that bad? No, I just just didn't didn't feel right coming out of your mouth. Not going to lie. Okay. I threw a curveball. Yeah. I was like, who's what? Sweetie, is this how he refers to people? But Barb, (laughs) excellent text from Barb. You are a winner today. And Barb, we want to thank you because the story is excellent. We used to play hide-and-go-seek, she writes, at the lake as kids. When it got dark, we used to pair up so no one had to seek or hide by themselves. One evening, I was paired with my pal Vaughn, and we were the seekers. We went into an area and saw some hiders in the bush behind the restaurant, which was in front of our cottages. We hit the hot jackpot, we thought, as we saw four hiders. One, two, three, on Deb, Sue, Andrew, and Patrick, they yelled. No one answered. Took out the flashlight. Eek! It was bear cubs, she writes. We saw their eyes. We were close to a restaurant with grease orders, so we always saw a lot of bears, but cubs were scary, and protective mama could not be far off. Could be close, she writes. Game was called off due to Bears' best childhood ever. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K, WPG. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.